0: What is up, esteemed douchebags? Welcome back to Rocky Talkie. Happy New Year! Hooray! Yay! <laughs> and it turns out, in a dramatic change of events, that 2021 is exactly the same as 2020.
1: I called it last week, guys. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you honestly did. Wow, Nikki, out here being Nostradamus with with the uh, the future predictions. Good for you, buddy. It's Thank pronounced you. Nostradamus. Well, happy new year, everybody. We hope 2021 has gotten off to a great start for all of you. Aaron, Nikki, how are you all doing for your first week?
2: It's been a week, John. It's been a week. Um, Instead of talking about any of that, though, uh, I'll tell you that I watched Netflix's new series this week, The History of Swear
0: Words. I actually saw that yesterday when Savannah and I were going through Netflix trying to figure out what to watch. Is it good? It was great. It was absolutely fun. It taught me a lot
2: of ways that I can use to express myself about my feelings about this week. (laughs) But yeah, no, it's real funny. Nicolas Cage saying fuck for an hour. Like, that's that's just fun. (laughs) I liked it a lot.
1: It sounds fun.
2: Nikki, uh, what were you up to?
1: I did something a little... I mean, it was very monumentous to me, but it sounds very uneventful. I got my boyfriend... To watch all of my favorite Sandra Bullock movies with me. (laughs) So we started with the proposal, and we watched Hope Floats, and we watched While You Were Sleeping. Like we went, we went through it and we had a good time.
0: I had no idea that you were a Sandra Bullock stan.
1: Oh my god, you don't even know how deep that shit goes.
0: I clearly didn't, and I have so much more respect for you now.
1: I love my Sandy girl.
0: (laughs) Sandy girl. Coolest thing that happened to me this week was I'm one of the few, I'm one of the proud mm-hmm. owners of a PS5 now. Yay! Which is oh, wild,
1: exciting.
0: I know. I'm like one of the only people like on the planet right now who owns one and actually plays it and isn't selling it for a thousand dollars. Check out the big brain on John. Big I know. Brain look energy. how gigantic my cock. I mean, brain is. It's. Let's
1: settle down.
0: Massive. Yeah, it's really cool. I have one singular game for it. I have Assassin's Creed Valhalla, but it is so pretty. So for everyone who's thinking about getting a PS5, if you have the chance to get one, I do highly recommend it. Nice. It's beautiful. Just don't expect to put anything on top of it because it's not flat like all the other gaming systems are. It's got like this new fancy curve on it. So I had to reorganize like my entire desk. As you can tell, that is the most exciting thing that I did this week. <laughs> All right. I live a life of luxury, folks.
1: Listen, I don't judge.
0: As you shouldn't. <laughs> All right, everyone, let's get into our first segment of the podcast. We're going to be talking about global news. We don't have much in the way of global news this week, admittedly. Oddly enough, I think the news has been kind of preoccupied with all the other stuff happening recently. But Susan Sarandon has been in the tabloids a lot for some like really positive stuff, which is always super nice to see.
1: Yeah, I saw a really nice article about Susan Sarandon and Jessica Lang. I think most people know Jessica Lang from American Horror Story, but Lang and Sarandon also worked together in 2017 on the FX series Feud Betty and Joan. It was a show about Betty Davis and Joan Crawford during the making of the 1962 film Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. The article was just a nice piece about how they were out together being two Good Samaritan girls in New York City. Ugh. They were out for a walk, presumably getting followed around by this paparazzi who caught them scandalously, giving money to a man who was in need and helping an older woman with a cane into her wheelchair.
0: Wow. Bitches. You (laughs) see stuff. Probably made that paparazzi's day.
1: Yeah, it's kind of dumb that they'd get followed around like that for literally no reason. But at least they were caught doing nice stuff, I guess. It's certainly better than if they went around being mean. And plus, it was cool of the guy to write the article about them being good people.
0: So she's been in the news quite a bit. Just recently, I had read an article about how she joined the advisory council for the Movement for a People's Party. For those of you who, you know, may be under a rock with Rocky Horror News, Susan Sarandon is very politically outspoken. She's been like this for quite some time. And it looks like that she's continuing with that by joining in with this organization. Now, we absolutely are not a political show. But we'll tell you about MPP quickly. They're basically an organization that is trying to create a third viable political party so that people aren't stuck having to choose between only Democratic or Republican in an election. According to their website, their vision is a major new progressive populist party that delivers what regular people take for granted in so many other countries. Like... Single-payer healthcare, free public college, money out of politics, an infrastructure jobs program, a $15 minimum wage, financial regulations, and more. Which is, like, absolutely wild. I've been meeting people from all across the world since I started streaming on Twitch. And let me tell you that they are all, like, beside themselves when we Americans who, you know, engage in chat and stuff, and, of course, me myself, talk about, like, what we get and get as a broad term because we don't really get much because they'll be like, shit, I had to take an ambulance to the ER and it was I was mad because it cost me 20 pounds. And I was like, you know, things like that.
1: Yeah, that sounds very much ideal compared to the current situation. But- right. <laughs> Susan Strandon's getting involved?
0: Yeah. uh, According
2: to their site, the Advisory Council brings together activists, organizers, and leaders from across the country and many different fields. Academics, artists, commentators, students, labor organizations, nonprofit leaders, scientists, and elected officials have all come together to help build a major new people's party free
0: of corporate money. So it looks like that Susan will be working with them as like a well-known, outspoken activist, and she'll be using her platform to help get other people involved. I'm not sure what, if anything else, her role will entail, but really honestly good for her for getting involved in a cause that she believes in. Again, just to reiterate, we aren't a political show. We aren't advocating for this political party or any other, but it's really cool to hear about one of our favorites being passionate about this. If any of you are interested and you want to learn more, we're linking the Movement for a People's Party, MPP, in our show notes. Nice. So now we can vote for Giant Douche, Turd Sandwich, or Free Hugs? Yeah, I know where my ballot is going.
2: Yep, Turd Sandwich all the way. All right, I've <laughs> yep. got one more, though. This one's a stretch, but did you guys see that Susan Sarandon's daughter, Eva Murray, who split up last year with her now ex-husband, Kyle Martino, is now dating Ian Hawke? He's a chef from New York City. Apparently, she went to high school
0: with him. That is so sweet. I love Ava Amiri. Saved is such a fucking classic. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that she's doing good. It
2: definitely seems like she's happy. She says she and her new boyfriend are both foodies. Big surprise, he's a chef. Uh, Love going to museums. They're both bookworms. They both speak French. And they formed a really special friendship before they started dating.
1: That's absolutely the best. I love when shit like that happens. My boyfriend Josh and I were best friends for two years before we started dating. And I feel like that just puts like a whole different outlook on the relationship itself. Because it's like you don't have to go through the awkwardness of like getting to know each other while also trying to build a relationship. You already know each other's families. You already know like the flaws and the pros and the cons and you're so comfortable with each other. I don't know. It was so nice. It was like such a nice journey to go on with your best friend and just be like, okay, we're just going to figure out how to like love each other now. And it's going to be great.
0: To be fair, we were all just kind of waiting for it to happen, too.
1: Yeah, I feel like when we made it official, everyone was like, is this not already the case?
0: It was one of two things. It was either is this not already the case or is this a joke?
1: yeah because
0: yeah. like the two of you were super super close and it's like huh oh, we're dating ha 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 and we're like ha ha ha, good
1: funny ha ha
0: ha ha that's that's funny joke
1: you guys are bored on a saturday <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I was literally clarifying this for like three weeks after you guys got together they're like no no, no not a joke they really are no i swear they really are <laughs> so many
1: people messaged me and they were like is this real and i was like yeah i wouldn't fucking i got family on facebook bro <laughs> Don't fuck around. But anyway.
0: Yeah, good for you, Ava. We wish you luck with your new relationship. And with that, let's move on to
1: community news. Yeah. <laughs> we have one super exciting write in this week that we're going to get right off the bat. This is from Harley from Tesseract Players RKO and FBC, and their message is, Tesseract Players are performing in their annual Aresia convention virtually this year. We've been doing this convention for about 15 years now, and this is the first virtual version of it due to COVID. It has always been a very special convention to the Tesseracts. We are performing Rocky Horror this Friday, so that's January 15th at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, and Buffy and Dr. Horrible on Saturday, January 16th at 9 and 10 p.m. Eastern Time. This will be streamed on the Tesseract's Twitch page, twitch.tv tesseract, for public viewing, or if you want to join in on the sci-fi convention fun, passes are available for that too. Aresia was founded as a nonprofit in 1989 to hold conventions and to promote science fiction and fantasy in all forms. Normally hosted in the Weston in South Boston, attendees could roam the halls dressed as their favorite characters or as their own created characters for a weekend of nerdy fun. Ugh, this sounds so awesome! I want to be there! Go ahead. I, d- I can't.
0: Oh. Well, regardless, this is going to be absolutely amazing. Tesseract has put on some really, really, really fun virtual shows for us during lockdown. And this one is probably going to be even more high energy because even if it's virtual, they're still performing for a convention. And all of us who are performed at a convention know about that like little boost of endorphins that you get when you're performing at an away show. You get those like really excited vibes, really excited mm-hmm. jitters, you know? Mm-hmm. I feel like it gives the performers that much more oomph. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, that's part of the reason
2: outside performances are so much fun. I, I know the thing that gives me excited jitters about this show, though, are Buffy and Dr. Horrible. Rocky will always be the best one, of course, but I really love seeing both of those shows performed. They're quick. They're tightly paced. I feel like the performers always seem like they're having the best time, and they get to do something a little different.
1: Yeah, I'd never even seen either Dr. Horrible or Buffy shadowcasted before I watched Tesseract's virtual shows towards the start of lockdown, and I had a great time. I'm definitely looking forward to watching all three of these performances this weekend. I am utterly and undeniably bored stuck in my house, and these shows sound like a lot of fun And it's all I have going for me. (laughs) But no, uh, I really do love the idea of holding a virtual con. I think that's really cool. And honestly, I might even go check out some of the other stuff going on since I don't get to or have to go all the way to Boston to attend this year. If you'd like to check it out with me, the convention's website is just Aresia.org. We're linking it in our show notes. And the best part of the convention... Tesseract shows will be streamed on twitch.tv slash Tesseract. We'll be linking that in our show notes too.
0: 2020 was a terrible year for like pretty much everything, but I do kind of like the virtual shows that came out of it. I sort of hope that we can like keep them around. And once we get back to our IRL shows, I think it'll be cool to have that that supplemental virtual show every so often. Sometimes watching things from home is kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Totally. I mean, 2020 was great for virtual shows.
2: We had so many. You know what else it was great for? It was great for Frank Jackets. What? You heard me. So I've been waiting all year long to do a 2020 recap about the Frank Jacket and all the new things we learned throughout the year. Spotlight some community members that made Amazing discoveries and did a ton of legwork to make sure that this specific costume piece is a lot
0: more accessible for performers out there. Wait, is there all that much? Like, how are there new developments for a costume piece? It's been like 45 years after the movie came out.
1: Of course, there's new info. Have you met Rocky people?
0: All right, fine, but we better start out with these basics. Like, I love Rocky and playing Frank, but even I can't tell you half the things on that jacket. My jacket is just full of pins and patches that i think are funny haha ha. nice i'm gonna make you talk about that later all right
1: <laughs> for this whole next bit we're gonna be talking about what the community refers to as the frank jacket that's the leather jacket that frank wears for when he's whipping riffraff and dr scott's entrance he's wearing it all the way up to discovering rocky and janet in the tank till the start of dinner scene
0: it's got a ton of pins or as the brits call them badges and a bunch of patches for all kinds of, like, motorcycle and biker brands. It is no question the most detailed, expensive, complicated, and difficult costume piece for anyone to try to reproduce. Ahem, 77. (laughs) It has
2: 77 badge and 20 patches, along with studs, chain, there's a painted-on logo on there. It's got this like bright red lining and there's some really specific intricate details like special pulls for the zippers. It's got fragments of fringe that were left when it was cut off the jacket. The origin of this thing's actually really kind of fascinating. The jacket was not a costume piece that was made by Sue Blaine. In fact, it was actually owned by Tim Curry and he built it up over the years as he added and removed a bunch of these different badges and patches. You can totally see him wearing it in a bunch of press photos in the late 70s and early 80s. And just this year, 2020, community member Brandon Citrina also discovered an entire full-length copy of the 1983 movie Video Stars, where Tim wears the jacket as part of his ensemble. Oh, shit.
1: That's so cool. Another movie with the Frank jacket. That totally provided some new images for the community to mull over.
2: It was super neat to see, and especially to check out the badges that had been swapped out after filming Rocky. There's a few things on there that collectors have, like, started to scramble to pick up originals for. The video's pretty low quality, and it's kind of difficult to pick out details, but there's a couple little things that have sparked a lot of discussion.
1: Wait, so you're saying that people are buying pins to match the screen accuracy of a jacket from a film that isn't Rocky?
0: I don't think that should surprise anyone.
1: No, of course, you're right. What was I thinking? Yeah. (laughs) So why don't people just look at the original jacket? Doesn't someone own that? I'm sure I've seen pictures of it online.
0: All right, so there's a guy. His name is Mike Scott, which sounds like a euphemism, but it's not. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) He owns what is generally assumed to be Frank's, like, original jacket. He purchased it at an auction from the 59 Club, like, many years ago. And he has a website with photos of it. He's a collector of, like, original movie jackets and memorabilia because everybody needs a hobby. And he also owns things like the jacket and jetpack from The Rocketeer and the EVA spacesuit from Kubrick's 1968-2001 A Space Odyssey.
2: The thing is, though, the Frank jacket that he's got has been refurbished, and Mike isn't exactly super active in the Rocky community. He's more of a general memorabilia collector. So, in the course of him refurbishing it, some of the original patches were lost, the leather was repaired, the badges were cleaned, so they had to have been taken off and put back on, and the communities kind of identified several of the badges and patches that are likely replaced with replicas or other versions, so even today... We're finding differences by using photographs and screenshots. Hell, just a month or two ago, it was pointed out that the eagle patch that's on Frank's arm is actually gold thread and not white, like we thought for the last 40 years. So, while the community is pretty sure that Mike's jacket is original, if it isn't, it's an extremely good reproduction, and he would have had to have pieced it together years before anyone had hunted down some of the details that we only recently have figured out and then made those match the movie, it's pretty clearly the original. We we all think so.
1: I know a couple people who have Frank jackets, but not that many people like in the grand scheme of the community seek out to make a replica of Frank's jacket.
0: Yeah, there's very few people that like I personally know in the community who are attempting to make that replica. Like Aaron is one of them. I know Zephyr's one of them. I believe Brandon Citrine is one of them, but like it's really surprising like, given how anal everyone is about costuming in general, it is definitely the most challenging costume piece to just completely reproduce.
1: That makes sense, though. Uh, it wouldn't be super fun for people to seek out if it was easy. It's a quest.
0: Yeah, it's like a video game.
2: I mean, I know the gotta collect them all difficulty in it is definitely what got me into working on it.
1: And you don't even play Frank.
2: No, uh, not in at least 10 years or so. I'm in it for the collectible aspect. I, I love costuming, and the Frank jacket scratches both of those itches, like, so
0: well. Yeah, but, like, when we're back at NYC, like, performing in public, maybe I'll just, like, cast myself as Frank and then just, like, not show up on a night that I know you're gonna be there, you know? And then I'll just talk to Meg to, like, bring your Frank stuff to there without you knowing, and, like, you won't have a choice. Ooh, If you think I would actually wear that
2: thing on a stage around people, (laughs) Jesus Christ, no. Anyway, I I don't know how to segue out of that. Whatever. The thing about this jacket, though, that, that makes it fun, right, is it's got so many elements that are, like, varying difficulty to find. There's, like, stuff that's more rare than other stuff. Some of the stuff's super easy to find, some of it's completely impossible. You can only get it in a different color or a different shape. There's just tons
0: of variations for every single piece that's on the jacket. Like different colors, different sizes, there's like slight shape variations, there's different years, like all that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. That's what's fun.
1: But isn't it like disgustingly expensive to collect?
0: Yes, it is. And that's why Aaron is one of the only people who is doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Like, a complete Frank jacket is in the multiple, like, thousands of dollars once you pick up all the badges individually. Like, I looked at some of them at one point, and I just, like, noped right the fuck out. Like, you can buy, like, literally every costume piece for every character for the same price that you spend on a singular Frank jacket. It's absolutely fucking asinine.
2: It is certainly not cheap. And, like, definitely more akin to somebody hunting for collectibles, right? I think that's kind of the appeal. You can build a Frank jacket organically and have it adjust to your spending habits, right? There's a wider range of options that you have. As a collector, you get to decide how interested you are in the different pieces and where you think your completion point is.
1: Oh, so, like... Trying to collect one of each badge for a screen-accurate jacket, not being overly concerned about minor variations.
0: Sure, you get to ask yourself, like, do you have to have an original of each and every badge and patch? Like, even beyond that, do you want to have all those patches embroidered with, like, the proper gold stitching? Are you gonna hand-stitch it, or hunt down originals, or, like, are some of them good enough?
1: And what about for badges and patches you can't find? Do you want reproductions? Do you want to make your own? One of my cast members told me that a lot of Franks used to try Shrinky Dinks or those other like DIY button makers as a way of making replacement pieces.
2: All these are exactly the kind of stuff that you think about when you're beginning this giant quest for the Frank jacket. The, the whole thing that's cool about it is it has such an incredibly high ceiling for how specific and exact you want to be and you can always say oh there's a better piece out there that i want to get even if it's just a slightly prettier version of something you've already got but with all that i mean there's the cost it is extremely high at least most of the badges and patches are also sought out by collectors of motorcycle memorabilia so that means that a they're going to maintain their value that's good if you're buying them but also they're pretty well sought after and not just in the rocky community so the prices are high and they're stable but we
0: definitely need to make it clear to our listeners nobody should ever feel pressured to build a frank jacket aaron (laughs) it's like the number one piece that even if you are a totally anally screen accurate cast, you're going to get a pass for not having it. Like there are tons of other options out there. Like instead you could pick up a cheap leather jacket at a thrift shop and use a pile of your own pins, maybe from your cast or even like non Rocky ones that you've picked up over the years, like make it a personal item. There are two things that I really love and value when it comes to Rocky horror shadow cast costuming. It's like, we love the super screen accurate things and we love the stuff that we still make it look relatively accurate, but it's something that is, like, our own, you know? Like, so Savannah and I have two jackets. Um, She has one, and I have one. Their jacket has, like, spikes, studs on the shoulder, a lot of, like, very obviously, like, very Savannah pins and patches on it. Whereas mine has, like, a Pokemon patch on it. There's words on the back of it that spell, like, dad or daddy or something like that. I have... I have a little pin that I got from a thrift shop that says, I heart grandma on it. Like shit like that. (laughs) I love that crap, man. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with making something that has like an endless level of customization your own. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, if you're the type of person who's really into collecting things, then kind of like your magnum opus in terms of Rocky Horror stuff is going to be that Frank jacket. Oh, yeah.
1: Or if you want a cute gag, I've seen a lot of Franks use Eddie's jacket. It's super convenient, and it's an amusing gag that the audience definitely enjoys.
0: Exactly. There are tons of alternatives. So, like, 100%, nobody should feel like they are any less of a Frank for not wanting to dig into this kind of costume piece. And, frankly, <laughs> you see what I did there. <laughs> uh, something that is often talked about in the community of folks building the Frank jackets is one of the bigger reasons you might not be drawn to it or even if like cost isn't a factor. Some of the patches and badges are just like not appropriate anymore. That's a great point.
2: You gotta remember, this is a jacket that Tim constructed in the 70s and 80s punk movement. So, there's multiple Nazi patches on this thing. One of them's the Nazi eagle, that's the bird with the swastika underneath it. There's patches and badges from the Hells Angels. There's some from the 59 Club and other motorcycle clubs. A lot of these things are intended to be worn only by club members, and, like, you don't want to piss off a Hells
0: Angel. You do not want to piss off a Hells Angel, I know (laughs) from experience. Wait, really? No. So oh. a lot of people choose to cover up, cross out, or otherwise obfuscate the offensive patches. But it's a really difficult choice to make between screen accuracy and something that you yourself wouldn't wear. And you might limit your ability to wear the jacket in, like, non-Rocky, polite company. You know, like, cosplaying at a comic convention as Whipping Team Frank. Or, like, for an appearance at an event that isn't specifically devoted to Rocky where everyone just knows, like, oh, that's on the jacket. Right, you don't want to show up at
2: Comic-Con and get rejected from walking in because you've got a bunch of Nazi crap on your sleeves, you know? So, I'm sure you're all wondering, let's talk about the cost while we're listing out all these reasons why you don't want to collect this thing or why you shouldn't start. So, many of these badges, we've talked about it, they're extremely expensive. If you can even find them, that's that's even a bigger problem, right? Lots of these have been snatched up over the years by Rocky fans and motorcycle collectors, so even though a lot of them were mass-produced, finding them on eBay is still a really long, arduous slog. Through some patience, hunting for a few years, and spending a couple thousand dollars, you can get really close to a complete set. I just recently got to the point with my jacket where I have all the badges and patches, some are reproductions, a lot of them are originals, some of them are slight variations, but just the patches and badges, they ran me over
0: $3,000.
1: Holy fuck.
0: Yeah, and I thought I was fucking crazy for spending $1,100 on the original 151 Pokemon cards. You are fucking crazy, but I think I am too, <laughs> and we all knew that, right? That's like Let me... half
1: a gaming computer.
0: That's double a gaming
1: computer. That's what I meant, yeah, and I didn't, I didn't say that right, but what? <laughs> I was going to say
0: minus $1,500. Yeah, that's and... how much Josh
1: got for his.
0: Yep. Let me at least tell you, it's a lot
2: cheaper if you're actually in the UK, though. Because the source for almost all of this stuff is the UK. These were all manufactured in the UK back in the 70s. So a major part of the cost in the US is paying the extra $5, $10, or $15 for shipping internationally on a single badge. And also though, and this is the big thing, I started on this quest before 2020. And let me tell you, 2020 was a massive year for fans of the jacket that are at any stage of building
0: the penultimate costume piece. Okay, so basically what you're telling me to do, Aaron, is that if I ever want to put together a Frank jacket, Mm -hmm. I need to schedule a vacation to England and buy all of these patches at the same time and get them shipped to some like fucking Burger King or something and then just show (laughs) up to the Burger King and be like, I would like my patches, please.
2: Or or you reach out to one of the members on the group that we're going to talk about in a little bit and they might help you out with that shipping.
0: Ooh. Ooh. Okay, well, this year has really demonstrated the ubiquity of Facebook, and everyone had time in 2020 to spend on their social networks.
1: And all the time people have had to pursue hobby projects while working from home, or just all that time in quarantine instead of going out.
2: I think we'd also be remiss not to acknowledge the influence this year that platforms like Etsy and eBay have had. They've become a lot more ubiquitous, a lot easier to use, a lot more people are on them. And they're especially lenient towards products that operate in the gray area, stuff like unofficial reproduction pieces.
1: So what happened this year in Jacketland? I always assumed it was just like all the other costume pieces. If you go on the anal costume site, there's a bunch of references from over the years.
0: And Columbia's Closet, which was created by Mina, had the most complete jacket reference and, like, the best pin reference. I guess you kind of have to hunt down some screenshots now or crawl through the Wayback Machine as, sadly, Columbia's Closet is no longer accessible.
2: Yeah, those are the resources the community used for a really long time. Other people have also posted articles about their journey to craft the perfect Frank jacket but one of the biggest changes this year was actually in the way that everyone working on their jackets coalesced around a single Facebook group. So before, a lot of the discussion happened over email or in private messages, but now there's finally a group that's both extremely
0: active and full of incredibly knowledgeable people. I've seen this group. You're talking about the Rocky Horror Picture Show Frank's Leather Jacket Badges and Patches group. It is a mouthful, but... Yeah, honestly, it sounds like an Amazon item. (laughs)
2: But yeah, that's the one. It was uh, created by UK-based superfan Dave Spelling around the end of July this year.
0: So this group is like a who's who of community members who just love their jackets... Sean Anthony, Davey Orr, Brandon Satrina, Jeff Baker, Andrew Davies, Nick Inferter, Zephyr from RKO, and like 150 other members. Literally anyone who you have said, oh yeah, they have a really nice Frank jacket. Like, odds are, they're in this group. Yeah, the group really brought together the community around this
2: one specific costume piece. Everyone in this group, always on the lookout for pieces that others might need. They post badges as they come up on auction sites. They help each other out. What's probably the biggest thing, though, to happen this year with the jacket is the amazing amount of reproduction badges and patches. And even the leather jacket itself became available as reproductions this year. So... A lot of the original badges are available online, generally through eBay, Etsy, that kind of stuff. And they can range anywhere between a few dollars all the way up to $200 to $300 for a single pin. So as such, a lot of the reproductions have been made over the years, but never at the scale that they were finally made available in 2020. So... In the past people would make these repros and you had to hunt them down through the news groups or bulletin boards or live journal or blogs or directly emailing somebody so now between the relative ease of ordering bulk custom manufactured enamel pens, and the ease of selling on facebook market etsy or ebay a bunch of people put a ton of work this year into making replicas available for everybody to have at reasonable prices.
1: I've seen a bunch of these. Sometimes I like to dip around Etsy looking at random Rocky crap, but I've definitely seen a bunch of these replicas. Tyler, who runs Wild and Untamed Things on Etsy, makes reproductions of many of the hard-to-find patches, the big tiger on the back, the skull and crossbones, and several others.
0: He also makes the reproduction brad patches, so if any of you need one of those for your brad jacket, I think every brad that I know, including me, has one of his patches.
2: Yeah, David Spelling in the UK and Zephyr from RKO have been making replica badges and producing them like absolute madmen. Between the two of them, there are now 13 of the different badges available. And because there's duplicates on this jacket, that accounts for 28 of the total badges that you need to finish the jacket. So if you're in the US, Zephyr has a bundle of all of them for under 200 bucks on his Etsy, the Edison boutique. And if you're across the pond, you can
0: just reach out to Dave on Facebook and he'll hook you up. And that is way more fucking affordable. And there's what, like 70 something badges. So that's like a third all in one swoop that you can go buy today. And these are the hard-to-find ones that you are probably going to have to pay like top-end prices of like 50 to to $100 a piece. Yeah,
2: Dave and Zephyr have been working with a ton of folks this year. People on this group have been contributing measurements, like busting out their calipers kind of measurements, photos, sizes, all of this stuff to determine the most perfect replica and making sure that those are the ones that get reproduced. One of the people who contributed massively to this effort is Brandon Citrina, who also shared the story this year of his quest to seek out the last remaining unknown badge. This is what he shared.
1: I wanted to share a story about my search for info on the Adoramus Dominium badge.
2: So that's uh, the big silvery badge that's on the far right side of Frank's breast. Uh, It looks like a coat of arms or a family crest or a badge for a club or association, we, we didn't know.
1: I reached out to Sue Blaine to see if by any chance she would respond and the even smaller chance she would remember. She actually remembered. However, she informed me that Tim Curry provided it and she liked it so much, she decided to keep it. Now, many people have guessed that it was a badge from a school Tim or his parents went to. People also thought it may be an insignia from his father's time in the Royal Navy. However, no one has had luck finding its origin. So I decided to drop the cash to have a one-on-one talk with Tim Curry with GalaxyCon. Unfortunately, its true origin is still unknown. Tim purchased this badge from a shop on King's Road. At the time, the shop was called Too Fast to Live, Too Young to Die. It's now called World's End. The badge came off the jacket of a motorcyclist who died in a crash. So I don't know we will ever know the true origin, but it was exciting to talk with Sue Blaine and Tim Curry to get some more info
0: amazing story and a great example of taking advantage of the unique circumstances in 2020 like things like the virtual galaxy con appearances to be able to talk directly one-on-one with tim to try to hunt down the mystery that is super cool even if it wasn't the answer that everyone wanted But that didn't even deter Brandon. He worked to create an incredibly high-quality
2: replica based on all of the screenshots and pictures that do exist. And for the first time in 2020, extremely accurate replicas were made available to the community. Brandon also produced replicas for the last unknown patch that had evaded the community also for 45 years. That's the Butlins patch that appears on the bottom backside of the jacket. (laughs) Butlins. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> but that's not the only big news in reproductions this year. I saw that a bunch of places have been making screen-accurate reproduction leather jackets. I thought we knew what the original was. Why are people looking for alternatives?
2: So the closest thing out there to the original leather jacket itself is a Louis Leathers Plainsman. The same company that made them back in the day makes them now, and they will set you back between $1,300 and $2,000 new depending on which type of leather you use and which type of material.
0: Oh, good. So we just had the $1,500 for the jacket to the $2,000 for the pins. And I was not a math major in college, but I see that the grand total to build that Frank jacket is, uh, by my estimates, a ton, Like a metric ton of money.
2: Yeah. You can see why the community has been searching for alternatives. Fortunately, there are a ton of near-accurate or even some original Plainsmans that pop up on eBay and other sites once in a while. Those will go for a few hundred dollars, much more reasonable.
1: Sure, if you're lucky enough to find one in the right size and all that.
2: Exactly, which is why this year we saw two new companies actually produce reproduction jackets at vastly lower prices. Community members Ryan PJ Mulholland and Dave Spelling, again, worked with Halcon Leather, their company out of the Middle East, to produce a fantastic and affordable replica. And Zephyr from RKO, hmm, names are a little familiar, right, guys? Uh, worked with a company called Magnolia Clothiers to produce an extremely high quality replica. So you got two different options now. My Screen Accurate Eddie jacket is a replica from Magnolia. They do fantastic work, but they are also a little more expensive. Either way, both of these are available for between half and a quarter off the price of the original Plainsman. So between like 250 to 700 bucks, depending, again, on the materials and the size and all of this
0: other stuff. Right, but that's way more in the ballpark. Like a couple hundred bucks is just how much a nice leather jacket costs. Mm-hmm. Exactly.
1: This is all, like, just really cool. I mean, so lots of reproductions, both of the badges, the patches, and the leather jacket base this year. I bet everyone's been grabbing that stuff as soon as it drops.
2: I know I am. Nobody can dispute it. The tireless effort of the community members just contributed to 2020 being a great year for the Frank Jacket. We saw tons of new information and details brought to light. These replicas flooded the market in the best way possible, making it so much more approachable for newcomers to start their collection. And community members reached out to form new relationships with manufacturers, and that produced in producing lower-cost
0: alternatives for the base for the whole
2: friggin' project.
0: So, all told, if I'm looking to get into building the jacket now in 2021, how much did waiting save me? Like, what's the math?
2: So, all told based on my spreadsheets and doing some back-of-the-napkin kind of math, if you were starting from scratch this year, the total cost to you has dropped a few thousand dollars just by waiting.
1: That's a ton, but the math checks out. You save a fortune buying the new replica badges and patches, some of which were in the hundreds for just a single original, if you could even find them.
0: Plus, the cost of an accurate jacket base being cut in half, if not even more,
2: yeah, it's, it's been a great year for Frank Jackets, that's for sure. All the links to the Facebook group, the online stores where you can buy the repros, all of that stuff's going to be in our show notes. You should go check it
0: out. It is awesome. Do you have a super sweet story about a costume piece you've worked on or are super proud and want to brag? Hit us up on any of our social media accounts, all at Rocky Talkie Podcast. Nice. Was that good? Yeah, you like yeah, that? I like yeah, that.
1: that was nice. Right. And I'm Leandra, and we host Rocky Horror Minute. The podcast where we discuss the Rocky Horror Picture Show in excruciating detail, one minute at a time. We're doing this show to share our love of the lyrics. You've never seen a prune in real life? No! (laughs) They're not the same as raisins, right? Our passion for performance. Oh my god! I was like, bad knees? Stupid? Sober? Our attention to detail. I know that everybody's curious. That car is a 1964 Ford Falcon Deluxe Sedan, Ford, or 54D. And to unlock secrets that would otherwise be lost to time. Oh, are you asking if I know the name of the cheetah and why it had (laughs) such a problem with the snake? Visit us on the web at rockiharraminute.com for more information. Or look for us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: And with that, let's move on to Nikki Asks a Question, personal (laughs) edition.
1: Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. So this segment's going to be a little different this week. Because we got kind of deep into all the jacket stuff and community news, we decided we wanted to keep Nikki Asks a Question light and use it to get to know each other a little better. That's fun, right?
0: Yeah. So we each came up with some cast and show-related questions, and we're going to take turns asking and answering and also, if any of our listeners have a good answer for any of these, please feel free to run into us, and we will read your answer in our Big Dick story Time segment. All right, cool. Who wants to go first? John does.
1: John! Yeah.
0: So, what is the quickest that you had to learn a role, and why? Oh, boy, that one's kind of hard.
2: Because generally, when I'm gonna take on a new role i am super anal about it i'll be buying costume pieces months out and i will be working on the blocking probably a couple weeks beforehand also i've done everybody and i've been doing it for so long that like short of if i'm gonna sit down and play magenta or something i don't know that there's a whole lot of blocking that i have to sit down and learn for a Mm. role (sighs) quickest i ever it's probably around a week There might have been a time where I had to do Frank and only had a couple days notice on it, but I still always had multiple hours to figure something out
0: quickest that i've ever had to learn a role and albeit this isn't like learning a role learning a role like aaron said i think i've always had at least 24 hours to learn a character just because of somebody like dropping out last minute and there would be nobody to replace them and because i was going to be at the show anyway meg would be like hey do you want to play this character that's actually how i played the majority of my characters the characters that i actually like quote unquote auditioned for and like performed regularly were brad Riff uh frank and i think that's it every other character it was like hey john we need somebody to play this character can you play and i was like yeah sure Mm -hmm. but i think the quickest i've had to learn a role is my very first time performing ever where it was cast in a hat and i know cast in a hat doesn't count but like you said aaron when it comes to performing i try to be as accurate as i possibly can be for my own sake like it makes Mm -hmm. me feel good and that night i was dressed as raff. Nice. It was my first time performing ever, and I pulled Columbia. Uh, <laughs> wow. So that, I think that was the fastest I've ever had to actually like, sit down and learn a role because I pulled my partner, Savannah, who was a regular Columbia on our cast, outside, and I was like, look, this is my first time performing. I'm losing my mind. I'm so freaking out right now. I pulled the one character I know literally nothing about. <laughs> so she ran through like this big crash course with Columbia, and I think I did pretty okay nice you do make a
2: a sexy disco ball john yeah i get that a lot
1: (laughs) i don't know if mine counts i think mine counts i like right when i joined cast probably like two months into me being on cast i had only played like a transylvanian um they announced that they were doing like a theme show and it was going to be comic book night so everybody was going to dress as comic book characters and like do all this fun stuff and my director just said like message me what character you're going to dress as and i will assign roles so like it wasn't like a i'm gonna play columbia as this you were just like i'm gonna dress as i dressed as spider gwen so i just texted her i'm gonna dress as spider gwen and then like a week later she wrote the cast list and 17 year old me who had never performed and didn't know shit about the show got columbia and i was like oh my fucking god what am i gonna do and this was on like a wednesday like i it was probably my bad but i was like holy shit this is bad so I like, I, I, I mean, I, I did it. I got it all together and it was such a fun show. It was, it's one of my happiest memories, but it's like, I love that shit. I love being thrown on stage and being like, oh my God, this is either going to go fantastic or I'm going to cry afterwards. We'll see. Like,
2: <laughs> I love that. That's great. All right. So next question up here. What are some differences around cast hangouts? Some places have bars, diners, Drive-ins and dives, uh, and things <laughs> like it. that. So, what what are they? What I mean, I know in New York we we go to the bar after the show. It's the city that never
0: sleeps, so we just go drink right after we finish performing. Yeah, we go to Jake's Saloon right across, right down the street from the Chelsea-Senatepalis Theater. It's not the only place that we've gone. No. After shows. We've done the Malibu Diner, which is just right down there. There's the papaya place that's right on the corner that sometimes we'll go to and get some food and just kind of like linger outside. Uh, There was one time we went to the gay bar, Barracuda, right uh, Mm. on the opposite side. So like we we go to some varied places after the show, but usually it's, well, at least now it's Jake's. I know that everyone used to go to East of Eighth, which was literally right next door to the Rocky Theater, but it has since closed down.
2: Yeah, we're, we're real lucky being in New York where bars are open until 4 o'clock in the morning. So if we get out at, you know, 2.30 from doing a show, we can still go hang out and chat and grab some drinks. And honestly, there's been plenty of times after the bar is shut down, we've wandered up to Koreatown and gone and done karaoke until 6.30 or 7 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yep. So it, New York is one of those weird places where you can just keep partying all night long.
1: Yeah, uh, my first time going like out with you guys after a show was definitely jarring because uh, FNS, I, I really love it. FNS we do after every show, we go to IHOP. There's like an IHOP that's like 15 minutes down the road. And nice. it's 24 hours. And I guess, they, I mean, I don't, they've been going there since before I was on cast. And I'm assuming much longer before that. Cause like there's always a table that's put together and cleared and waiting for FNS. And the staff knows everybody. And it's so like, it's just like calm and cool. And the audience will come and sit with us. And it's just nice. Like we have like this hectic show. And then like we go to like this diner full of makeup and weird outfits. And we just like eat pancakes and bullshit. It's a lot of fun.
0: I mean, I'll be realistic with you. Like, I don't drink. So, when we go to Jake's, I just kind of like sit there and vibe or I'll yeah. get like a nice delicious diet coke courtesy of our director Meg. I would love to go to an IHOP after a rocky show.
1: It's very nice.
0: You know, m- most parts
2: of the country actually their rocky shows always end up at a Perkins or an IHOP or a, yeah. you know any kind of diner afterwards. That's Jenny's. where you denny's is right the one that's always mentioned you get stuff in like the purity test where they're talking about have you been kicked out of a diner for throwing sugar packets around or you know taking taking the creamers and doing the the squirty thing with it, like all that crazy shit that you shouldn't do we
0: don't condone it but it's kind of part of that like diner experience for rocky people
1: yep. yeah
0: all right so next question is what is the closest a show has come to just flat out not happening See, I personally do not have an answer to this because with the amount of people at NYC and the hustle mentality with a lot of our cast members, there is nothing that will prevent us from just like, flat-out not having a show, aside from things that are, like, out of our control, like, you know, COVID. There was one time that a bomb went off, literally, like, right next to the theater. We obviously did not have that show. So, like... (laughs) So, but aside from that, I feel like the show has almost always gone on for us.
2: Yeah, I've only really experienced it when I was on the Midwest cast. And the thing about um, casts in other parts of the country is that, like, in some cases there's only maybe 10 people on this cast, Mm -hmm. or, you know, eight people. And some weeks, only six of them show up. I've done shows where there's only been three cast members who've been able to show up, and you just gotta go, well, I guess I'm doing Frank, and you're doing Brad, and you're doing Janet, and let's see if we can drag up six people from the audience. Now, if your audience is only six people, then you're performing to nobody, and it's a really weird and awkward show. But you still have a show, you know, I've never had one where it just didn't happen because of that. It's always been extenuating circumstances, you know, like John was describing.
1: Yeah, we on FNS, uh, we have like obviously a little different of an environment to NYC because we're a much smaller cast in terms of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I there's been a couple times where like it's been up in the air. But uh, my cast leadership is always really good at like just making shit happen out of thin air. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was this one show that like I'll never forget because it was like one of the best nights of my life. We're the Friday night specials. We do shows every Friday night and they had booked a secondary show on a Friday night at this place called The Brook. It's in Bound Brook in New Jersey. It's like a historical theater. It's the most gorgeous theater. The stage is so tall. It was like such like it's just so historic. It was so cool. It was like an actual like music. like it was like a theater it was dope I don't know we perform in a movie theater so it was very different to be like on a stage and have like backstage and there was like a balcony I don't know I was geeking out
2: that's awesome it's so fun to to get to do those kind of shows
1: um but we had to do two shows and first of all we only had props for one show so the week before the show the entire cast came together and we recreated every single prop that we had So we had two sets of props to have for both shows. But then it comes down to the fact that our cast wasn't big enough to do two full cast lists. So basically, they sent all of us that were performing at the Brook. um, There was like, I don't know, 12 of us. We only had two transies. I think Eddie and Dr. Scott was the same person, which we don't normally do. And then my boyfriend, Josh, and that was it. So, like, all of us that were on stage were performing, and my boyfriend, Josh, was backstage just, like, doing everything. He was moving all the props. (laughs) He was helping people get changed. He had a walkie-talkie. He was doing the lights. He ended up getting a job from that, which was really cool. But, like, poor kid, like, suffering. Uh, And then our home show, it was whoever was left on cast that didn't go to the brook stayed there and, like, performed or did props and stuff. And they brought in a bunch of alumni. And I think Meg and Aaron, you guys actually performed at that show. You oh, guest yeah. performed for us. Yeah. We
2: totally did. I forgot yeah. about that.
1: You guys were able to come in. Like, it was just so cool. Everybody came together to make these two shows happen. And it was a lot of, like, it was just so much fun. It was so much fun.
2: That's another good point about, like, any of these shows that if you're worried that they don't happen, especially on the East Coast here. And, John, you, you can speak to this a lot. It's real easy to call up alumni, to call somebody from another cast. I mean, hell, you know, you bounce up and down, go into all kinds of shows. Yep.
0: Uh, It also helps living with with an NYC alum, too, because I know for a fact that, like, if me and Savannah are leaving to the show one night and Meg calls me and is like, hey, I need a Rocky. There's literally not a single Rocky available right now. Can you please ask Adam? Mm. I can just turn around and be like, Adam, you're playing Rocky tonight. Get your shit. Let's go. Like... (laughs)
2: Yeah, I mean and and I know that in the past we've even gone as far, you know, in the extreme circumstances of like being calling up people and going, "Okay, is is your boyfriend like hot enough to be on stage and want to wear a speedo <laughs> that's adam-, th- <laughs> adam and his ex yep <laughs> exactly right you can you can even grab them that way i know that uh one of the casts i was on used to always grab you know boyfriends girlfriends sh- plant them in the second row and say you're flipping off these lights and turning them back on all night yep. your, your, your tickets comped here go flip the switches so <laughs> yeah it's
0: great i mean the rocky rocky community always finds a way right yep
1: How has the role Rocky has played in your life changed over the years?
0: Uh, It definitely has changed for me uh, at least three times. This is really surprising because, like, the first time that I actually saw the Shadowcast was actually the first time I even saw the movie, too, uh, which is wild because, like, I love musical theater. I loved, like, the soundtrack of the Rocky Horror Show and all that stuff, but i had never seen the movie And the first time that I went to go see it was when Savannah and I were starting to date. And they were like, hey, I'm debuting as Columbia tonight. Do you want to come see me perform? And I was like, yeah, sure. So the first time, like the first thing that Rocky was as a role for me was just like a fun weekend thing that I would do. I would see my partner perform and it would be really cute to be able to support them and everything like that. And as a result of that, um, I started to get to know the cast. And then it, it came to the point where for like a stretch of like, six or seven months or so i was the cast quote-unquote photographer i would use savannah's camera you know they have a nice fancy dslr camera i would use it during the show and i would be there at least once a week to the point where people would be asking savannah is john coming tonight because i want him to take good pictures of me (laughs) i remember that I so that was my role in Rocky, at least. Like, I was a photographer for like the better part of a year for the cast. I wasn't on cast, I still paid my way for the most part, and I would come and you know take pictures. And that was just a really cool hobby that I didn't even know that I had until I started doing it. So, Rocky kind of helped me create that hobby. I'm, I'm not a photographer by any stretch of the imagination, but now I, at least I know how to work my way around a camera. That's a great skill, right? Yeah. And then eventually I joined the cast and then that was the role that Rocky had in my life. It was not just a fun thing that I like to do on the weekends and, you know, lend my skills to the cast. It was, I'm now a cast member. I am now part of a community theater project. Mm-hmm. Now this is not just something fun I like to do. Now it's become a hobby, a very weird, eclectic hobby, but it always gets a good reaction whenever you tell somebody that you're part of a Rocky Horror Shadowcast. And now the role that Rocky plays in my life because I'm an assistant director of the New York City cast is completely different because not only is it a hobby, but now it's kind of like a professional development opportunity for me Mm -hmm. because I work in higher education. So I do leadership development and organizational management for work. I have a master's In it. So now that I have a master's in it, this is actually an area where I can use what I've learned in my master's courses, and apply it to the cast that I help oversee. So like it went from just being something that was just a fun thing that I like to do on the weekends to a literal professional development opportunity that I actively put on my resume to prove that I can run organizations that's super cool. I mean my story's kind of got the same arc
2: and journey, right? I think anybody who's been around for a long time kind of does. I started off in the Midwest. I was just on a small cast. I only, you know, showed up and performed and and all of that. When I moved to New York, I joined the New York cast and Same kind of thing, right? I was just, you know, another Eddie in the rotation, and I'd come in and do my stuff. I I got really close with a lot of cast members and a lot of the cast leadership. I ended up taking on some leadership opportunities to, you know, be part of the drama. (laughs) Let's put it like that. And then, you know, my role slowly dwindled and I shifted out, you know, for a little bit. But I've always been doing Rocky stuff related to the work that I do, similar to what you were talking about, John. I'm a software developer by day, and I use Rocky to kind of be the content that I use to test out new ideas that I have when I'm testing out new software patterns or I'm trying out a new framework or I'm doing one of these things, odds are I'm going to lean to build a Rocky project with it. That's why I've built projects like the Rocky News site or the Rocky Streaming site, and I maintain, you know, the New York City cast site. So even my other hobbies, I've tied directly back into Rocky. Take that for what it is. I I might be of just a single track mind on that one. So, all right, this next one's real funny. When were you most
0: embarrassed on stage? Oh. God,
1: I have so many of these. <laughs> I
0: um, I mean, aside from, like, basic costume malfunctions, like a corset zipper busting or mm. your balls falling out of your underwear, things like that. Because I don't get embarrassed often. And I don't I even do. know if this one counts as embarrassment, but more just general confusion. I think, Aaron, you'll remember this. Uh, mm. So there was this one show with NYC – i was brad and it was just like any other night i was on stage i was being brad i i think i hosted the show i don't remember but i was brad whatever there was this one audience member i don't know who he is i still have never met this man and he was alone too from what i know every single time i came out on stage this man went absolutely fucking ape shit like every single time and would just like As if I was like fucking Beyonce and I came out on stage and everyone lost their mind. But it was just him. I don't know who he was. I still don't know who he is. But every single time I came out on stage, he screamed and cheered. (laughs) And then when I went out for my bow, this man stood up, started clapping and hooting and hollering. And then he yelled, that's it. That's Mr. Big Cock. (laughs) And... I, like, got a little red-faced because I was like, why am I getting so— Like, I have a gigantic ego. You should pay attention to me. But why is this man who does not know me, did not come up to me at the end of the show, call me Mr. Big Cock? Like, was my dick (laughs) hanging out the entire show and nobody wanted to tell me? Did I have, like, a a better-than-average bulge that night as Brad? I don't know. But he called me Mr. Big Cock. And then for, like, a month after that— half of the cast every single night i performed every time i came out on stage they would start shouting like mr big cock things at me there was this (laughs) one night i was trying to get footage for a audition for i think it was rko and in the stock footage you can just hear the people who are recording me going wow i've heard that john's dick is absolutely fucking gigantic (laughs) And I had to discard like all of that footage because I couldn't use it because I kept laughing. My like my fake Instagram account, my Finsta as you will, was Mr. Big Cock. It has been deleted by Instagram because I was trolling somebody on it. Uh, Wait, it's really? Fine. Yeah, it's it's I gone, had no and idea. they won't give it to me again because it was called Mr. Big Cock. Oh, my God. And he's fine. like, I followed Mr. Big Cock for years. Yes, I did. He was one of my original followers on my Finsta. Yeah, like John Finsta had some of my mine. fan
1: art on Mr. Big Cock.
0: Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, that was probably one of the most embarrassing, aside from, like, you know, a wardrobe malfunction, my dick falling out of my pants, like, things like that, like, everybody has happened to. Yeah, that just happens. It's rocky. Yeah, but, like, being called Mr. Big Cock with no context and then having the cast not let me live it down for a month, I don't know if it was embarrassing, but it was certainly confusing, Nice. Nikki, what do you got? What's your most embarrassing moment? I mean,
1: I have all like the normal girl, normal femme presenting malfunctions where it's like my wig fell off on stage and then I learned how to use like, you know, glue. (laughs) Or like I forgot to tape and had to do it during lab scene. Just like dumb shit. But I have this one disgustingly vivid memory that I don't think I'll ever get over. And it's not even that big of a deal. I'm just a baby. In our theater, we have like two stages. So we have like a higher raised stage and then we have a floor stage and we utilize both in our blocking. And there's a staircase on either side that you have to go up to get onto the big stage. So one show I was playing Columbia and for like the scene where like the, the creation scene, Columbia, Magenta and Frank are on stage And then when Rocky gets out of the tank, we all run down the stairs and we go to Rocky. Mm -hmm. But, you know, me being Nikki, I don't know what the fuck happened. I took like one step on the stair and my heel got caught on the higher step, but my body did not. And I just went down. And, like, it was not, like, a normal fall. It was, like, a my knees hit the first step, and I, like, bounced and, like, rolled. And I got back up, and my wig did not fall off, and everything was fine. But, like, my stockings were torn. I was so embarrassed, and I, like, that show was ruined for me. I wanted to go home. I was, like, can someone else play Columbia? I can't do this tonight. Like, it was so bad.
0: Oh, my God. I was hosting the show, and I accidentally gave my address out because I was running with a joke. <laughs> and the joke went way too far and I didn't even notice I had done it until I got off stage and I went up to Meg and Meg was like you gotta talk to Savannah right now she is pissed at you I was like what did I do so I ran out there and she was like you fucking idiot you gave our address out live on stage and I was like oh shit I did <laughs> And I was frank that night, and holy shit, my face was so red. Thank God y'all couldn't see me because I was caked in white foundation, but holy shit. Oh, oh my man. God. Two two different varieties of face plants right yep. there. <laughs> <was for> the-
2: <laughs> Jeez.
1: Why do you think some people stay at Rocky for only a little while while others become lifers?
2: Hmm. That's a good one. I mean, everyone kind of talks about this at some point once, uh, you know, a diner conversation or whatever. And I think that the the thing that I've always said about it is that there's kind of progressive stages that you go through with Rocky, right? You you first join Rocky, you're real excited to be there, you're excited to find out about all the stuff. Things like the castle is a hotel is actually an interesting thing for you to kind of be into. But that doesn't last very long, right? I mean, that only lasts maybe a couple months to a year or whatever. You kind of get into the swing of it, you find your friends, you enjoy the performing aspects that you like, and then you kind of may have a change in your life situation. You might, you know, graduate college or you might you know go off to work a new job and you kind of make a call whether Rocky is still something that you're revolving your schedule around or not and a lot of people filter out around that two-year period or so you know the the next group I always talk about is like the five-year people who you know make it their the hobby they do for all of college or they're around for you know high school and through college or something like that they kind of shift out after you know their friend group has evaporated out of Rocky And then you've got the lifers who are there hell or high water for all time because they are obsessed with the movie. They love the people. They love the thing. There was a while where I thought that I might have ended up as, you know, a five-year thing. But uh, no, it's 15 years later. So I definitely end up in that last category.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
0: I think when we talk about, like, why people stay at Rocky for a little bit while others, you know, are there forever. Also, it kind of depends on the, the location of the cast as well. Like for example, with New York City, we have a tremendous amount of overturn, but that's just because New York City in and of itself has a tremendous amount of overturn. We get a lot of college students who are moving to New York City for the first time, who don't understand how to balance their workflow and their hobbies. And, you know, we are one of the only casts, if not the only cast that performs every Friday and Saturday. And when you start on NYC, you got to be there every Friday and Saturday. So it actually does become quite a time commitment at the beginning. A lot of folks don't understand that, especially because they're first year a sophomore in college and they don't know how to balance that. So they end up, you know, piecing out and there's no harm in that because at least we're offering a learning experience to those people. Yeah. So, a lot of times, we get people that are coming in and out because of just the way that New York City is.
2: Yeah, and what's one of those – you ask uh, every new person coming in a question about their
0: friend group and stuff. Why, why don't you tell our listeners that one that you uh, always ask? Yeah, so there is a question that we usually ask people during the NYC interview. We, we typically bring up the idea of, like, this is going to be your friend group. Whether you like it or not, these are mm-hmm. going to be the people that you actively see every weekend – You're going to hang out with these people. You're going to go to parties with these people. You are going to host parties and invite these people. And then everybody else that is not part of Rocky is going to leave early because they feel uncomfortable because they're not part of like that in joke. You know what I mean? Fucking hard truth. And sometimes people really like that. And sometimes people don't like that. So you find a lot of the people who want to keep their Rocky life and their personal life separate. And they just find out that they just can't do that mm-hmm so you always have because it's an interview you know nobody's ever going to be like well no actually i don't want that so everyone always says yeah that actually sounds great i love kind of bringing these you know two different groups of people together but then the people who don't like it always leave first
2: yep mm.
0: i mean that's that's just the way it is but like it it's so true you put 10 rocky
2: people in a room and five non-rocky people The conversation's going to be about Rocky, and the other five people might as well just go to a bar down the street. Like (laughs) they're not going to be able to follow it. You know, we've all been to those parties, right? Yeah. Yep. I host those parties.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Right. All right. So, what is the biggest shit show performance you've been a part of? (laughs) Like the one with the most like insane amount of issues. I personally have never been part of, like, any other crazy shit show. Like, there's a few times where, like, I remember that, like, the theater has oversold our tickets. And then they get mad at us, even though it's not our fault. But at the same time, we only have, like, one person on lights and two people on props. And it's super hectic and everyone is stressed out. Like, I know those kinds of shows. But aside from that, for me... The thing that immediately comes to my mind, like, it wasn't a show that I was part of, but the Rocky Horror performance that they did at Yinscon, where the audio just wasn't working.
2: Oh, God!
0: I mean, I was... The only part of it was, it was my friend 13's birthday. She's a very well-respected shadowcaster in the community. Mm-hmm. She was playing Janet, and was super stressed out. And it was also her birthday, so I got everyone to chant her name over and over and over again. So I felt like I was a part of it. But i wasn't a part of that at all. i was just watching that happen and it was probably one of my favorite rocky horror memories in general just seeing thurge who was playing Riff Raff, get so excited that everything started happening again and it happened like right at time warp he grabbed the coffin they were using and literally threw it across the stage <laughs> it was the funniest thing i think i've ever seen But at the same time, there was not a level of energy that I've ever seen in a Rocky Horror performance than when the people who did the time warp for that performance were able to do it just as the music started working. Dude, my favorite part of that memory in particular from
2: that convention is when the audio went out and... Suddenly, the entire audience stops doing audience participation lines and instead, in unison, starts doing the actual lines from the movie. Oh, that's
1: so cool. It was
2: so surreal to just,
0: like... Oh yes, we're we're not doing AP now. We're doing the movie. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It was actually wild and like I feel weird actually even calling it a shit show because no. I'm sure from a logistical standpoint, it was probably a huge shit show for everyone at JCCP to have to deal with that. But from our end, it was a really cool way to see how the community collectively banded together and created like a cohesive or attempted to create a cohesive thing because they saw that another cast was struggling.
2: Yeah, it was super fun. I loved that convention. I wouldn't call it a shit show, but boy, if you were part of that uh, and you were the ones running around scrambling trying to fix the audio, I bet you would have called it a shit show among a bunch
0: of other words. (laughs) Oh, yeah.
1: It's weird because, like, I have my story of the show with the most insane issues is very similar to that, but on, like, the opposite spectrum. I also wouldn't call it a shit show. I think it was a really dope show. We got word a year ago that our home theater where we had been for the past 14 years was closing. And so we needed to find a new theater. And there was one in Red Bank, New Jersey, that was like the same company. So they were like, why don't you do a trial show here a few weeks before you have to like leave your actual theater and see if you like it. So we did. We like we got as many people as we could to come to this new theater and we were looking into it. And we did a trial show. I was playing Janet and we were all like so fucking nervous. And halfway through the show, like right when Janet comes out and she's like, what's happening here? Where's Brad? Where's anybody? Bedroom scene just started repeating like Brad's bedroom scene happened again. So we were like, we don't know what's happening. So we just did bedroom scene again. But like I came on stage and then it happened again. And this like then Crim and Magenta did it. And we were like, what the fuck is going on? And then the audio continued and the screen just went black. Oh, well. And we were like, we don't know what the fuck to do. So we kept doing the scene and the audience was very clearly like, what the fuck is going on? But my director, Ryan, who I think was performing that night and just like ran off stage to go figure it out. He's very good at um, saying the perfect thing to get people riled up. So he turned on his mic and he was he said something along the lines of like, clearly we have no fucking video. But if you're willing to sit through it, we will continue the show. The actors know the movie like the back of their hands and they can fucking do this. There's a video of this exact moment. I have never heard an audience like erupt with such an uproar. Like they were going fucking crazy at the idea that we were just going to do it blind. And we did the rest of the movie with no video, only audio and, like, floor show was the craziest thing I've ever done. Like, the audience, every single step that we took, they were screaming. Like, they were so, they felt like, because they felt like they were a part of the problem. You know, they felt like they were in with the secret. So everything we did was just, like, the dopest thing to them. And it was, like, such an issue. Like, it was a show with so many issues, but it was so worth it in the end because we felt, like, so fulfilled. Because it was such, like, a different show compared to what we were used to.
2: That's an awesome story. That's dope. Yeah. Man, you, you think you're going to watch a movie and then partway through, turns out you're here for a theatrical performance. <laughs> <laughs> Just watch us. We know our shit. That's super cool.
1: Let's, let's try this one. Have you ever tried to eat a pizza or anything else off the theater floor? Aaron, you, uh, you got an answer for us, buddy?
2: I have never succeeded in eating a pizza or anything but else. But have off you ever tried? You know, have I, you ever I, like
1: attempted?
2: I am very clear I have never succeeded in eating. <laughs> Yeah, I mean I mean you guys know Rocky, sometimes you show up at Rocky and you've had a few too many or a few dozen too many and you know, you get some pizza so you can sober yourself up and have a good time.
0: Sometimes, you know, you're trying to change into a costume, you drop that pizza and i mean it's still pizza <laughs> and you know sometimes you're in dinner scene and the audience is throwing toast at you and it hits the floor but you're feeling a little hungry at that moment and you just kind of eat it sometimes you just eat it sometimes you put it in your brad underwear for later so you can pull it out during a gag during planet shaman you know sometimes when you're playing brad or janet and you crawl through the audience during superheroes and you just like grab a fistful of somebody's popcorn or you grab their water and you drink it. Oh my god, we are never going to be able to do this kind of shit. Yeah, this is, these, are do- <laughs> these are gone. All of these gags,
2: never again. Yep. So safe to say is yes, I have. Yeah, I don't know why you're calling me out, Nikki. Between John and I, one of us eats something off the floor on every single show, and it's not me.
1: That is so upsetting. <laughs> I I don't want to uh I don't want to call you out, Aaron but I know that there's a pizza story in there somewhere, and I know that it's deeper than you're letting it up to be. So please, please enlighten us all about the pizza story.
2: Okay, so the real story here that Nikki wants me to tell is not a story of me trying to eat pizza off the floor of a theater although i'm sure that's probably happened the real story here is me being at the pizza place next door to our theater and trying to order a slice and if you know me i like to wear baggy pants and sometimes i don't wear a belt with those baggy pants i think we can see where this is going so i i order my pizza i'm standing there i'm kind of uh, I've been drinking at the bar across the street. And I'm getting my pizza and I'm all ready to order it. And I'm so focused on it that I don't notice that my pants decided to just fall down and be around my ankles. So being drunk that I am, I don't think, well, I got to set down my pizza and deal with this problem. No, I've got my pizza in one hand while I'm kind of squatting down now to try and pick up the pants from around my ankles and pull them up to the top. And I'm just kind of... The girl that was with me at the time just took away the pizza, calmly was like, pull your pants up, you piece of shit, we're leaving. And uh, then I went next door and sobered up enough to play Eddie.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, I think that's all we have for this week. We want to thank Harley for writing in to share their news, and we want to thank all of you for tuning in. We know the past few days have been mentally and emotionally challenging for a lot of our listeners. We love all of you, and we hope that our show has been able to bring some fun to a rough few weeks.
1: If you're enjoying the show and want to help us spread the word about it, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. It helps us make our podcast more visible to new listeners, which helps us to grow the show. Also, we're on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, all at Rocky Talkie Podcast. So please go check us out if you like us and want more content.
2: And please write to us. We love getting message submissions from you guys. We look forward to chatting with you all week. We want to hear about all the cool, rocky stuff you and your cast are working on, and we want to share it on our show. If you're working on a Rocky-related project you're excited about, if your cast is doing a special show and you want to spread the word, or if you've got an amazing story from your Rocky horror career, go to our website, rockytalkypodcast.com, and fill out our contact form and share your story with us.
0: And with that, we'll talk to all of you next week. Bye!
2: Bye! Bye! See ya!
0: Sorry. I was typing something. Uh, Yeah. Whoa. Spooky. Now, we absolutely are not a political show, but we'll tell you about MPP quickly. (laughs) PP. PP. MPP. Mr. PP.
1: One super. (laughs) I don't know what made me laugh. We have one.
0: Sorry, my health is su- funny John, to you, John.
1: John, let me do what I need to do.
0: Nah, I want to be here all night.
1: Oh my god. Okay. <clears throat> Tesseract virtual shows toward this, toward this, towards. What the, why can't I say a fucking word? Towards is that correct?
0: Yeah, sure.
1: What the fuck? I'm like having a stroke. Okay.
0: Uh. So a lot of people <laughs> choose to cover up, cross out, or like otherwise. What the fuck is that word? Obsfocate. Obsfocate? I didn't even know that was a fucking word, and I have a master's. Jesus Christ. <laughs> that
1: song's in Ham that word's in Hamilton. Where? In um the election of eighteen hundred.
0: I'm gonna fucking look this up right now. It's yeah, also, I think it, so. Maybe it's that's also the It's also in my brain way. where it got written from.
1: It's um he's <laughs> very attractive in the orgy guys like his stances he's not very forthcoming on any particular stances asking me a question he could oh, yeah, off, have obvious he dances
0: yeah he does and they say I'm a guy. at least, least they, they know, we're France know France I know is. where France <laughs> is. promise that's the problem they see burrs as this extreme you You need, you need to, to change, change course a key endorsement. endorsement right okay, okay let's you. let's
1: go back we can <laughs> do Why? hamilton later mm, uh washington nice. is going to
0: listen to okay. discipline dissidents this is a difference this kid is out this so so a lot of people choose to cover up cross out or otherwise obfuscate
1: super cool no that sounded so ingenuine <laughs> wow aaron that's really neat super cool
0: do you have a super sweet story hold on i feel like i should say this in like a like a like a voice you know sure <clears throat> you know like like a, um do you have a super sweet story about a costume piece you've worked on
1: See ya. Bye bye. Gotta go. Get the
0: fuck out of here.
1: Hey, settle down.
0: <laughs> oh my god. You're just mad your pants fell down. God damn it. Uh, you know what? I'll never, I'll never understand why people get so embarrassed. People who are on Rocky get so embarrassed about their pants falling down in public. Where we willingly do not wear pants during the show to begin with. You know? I play Eddie, man. My pants stay
2: on. I've seen you play Brad. My pants do not stay on for that. <laughs> <laughs>